They identified people who were willing to go pick up the little fluffy chicks and carry them back to the nest. In that way, they addressed the rescue of the endangered peregrine falcon. Maybe you didn't know that the peregrine falcon was endangered at one time. It was on the list. The chicks were falling out of the nests on the Golden Gate Bridge and the nests on the skyscrapers and in its normal and natural habitat on cliffs. The little birds, when they leapt out of the nest, they could dive back in, get on the cliff, and kind of hang on in the little crevices and crannies, but that wasn't true on the skyscrapers and it wasn't on the Golden Gate Bridge, and so there were chicks that were being lost. People took an interest in the peregrine falcon. They rescued the chicks in such numbers that it came back from endangered species until now in the Bay Area, the peregrine falcon is endangering other bird species. They are predators, you know, and they dive at 200 miles an hour and snatch their favorite meals out of midair. And so just recently, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services said, no more rescuing peregrine falcon chicks. You can't do it. So there is a controversy going on in the Bay Area about these little fluffy chicks that are falling out of the nest. It's amazing what people can do when they take a genuine interest. Jesus took a genuine interest in you. That's why you just sang, what a friend we have in Jesus. Because he took a genuine interest in you. He loved you and you didn't love him. He cared for you and you didn't even know him. He watched over you and found you one day laying at the foot of the cliff. Picked you up and put you in the nest. And everything about your life and every good and positive thing that's happened to you, you owe to your friend Jesus who took an interest in you. Now I want to read the passage that flows out of the interest of Christ. It's in Philippians 2, starting with verse 19, where the apostle writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you, Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. 
For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was sick. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Take a genuine interest. That's what I'm suggesting to you. I'm suggesting that we can change the world, brothers and sisters, if we will take a genuine interest in the world of a foster kid. You can change his world if you will take a genuine interest. And the church of Jesus Christ has an opportunity to shine the light brighter than it's ever been before with a genuine interest in the welfare of others. You say, well, how do I do that? Number one, adopt the interests of Jesus in your life. Adopt the interests of Jesus. It says, Paul talks about uh, Timothy taking a genuine interest in the welfare of the Philippians. And then he says, everybody looks after their own interests, not the interests of Jesus Christ. It's kind of an interesting switch. He's talking about how Timothy genuinely cares about the Philippians. And then he says, everybody's so self-absorbed, they're not worried about the interests of Jesus. So I'm suggesting to you that the interests of Jesus is what we're up to. Now, we can know the interests of Jesus. We know them well, in fact. The gospel writers recorded his life and his words. And we read through the gospels and are amazed at how Jesus loved people, how he treated them with such respect, how he forgave them and, and entered into relationships with them. Even though they were marginalized and low in society, he cared about them. And he did so with great courage. And despite the rebuke of the authorities, Jesus cared about other people. Jesus cared about you. He picked you up when you couldn't pick yourself up. He healed you when you couldn't heal yourself. He made you a child of God when it was beyond your power to do that on your own. He cared about you. Jesus always cared about the will of the Father. He did everything, he said, to please the Father. He wanted the Father to be pleased. Before, I, uh, before baptism, I went in to see the baptism candidates, and I said, when Jesus came out of that baptistry dripping wet, God had a word for him. This is my son. In him I am well pleased. I am well pleased. I said, when you go up those steps and you go in that water, you just think about, Father, I want to please you. I'm doing this to please you. Jesus pleased the Father. Okay, here are the interests that you adopt. You adopt the interest of pleasing the Father with your life, you adopt the interest of helping others with your life, 
You adopt the interest of advancing the good news that people need to hear because that was an interest of Jesus. The scripture says that Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. Did you know that was in the Bible? That Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it? And so if we have the same interest as Jesus had, we're going to be interested in the glory of God and pleasing him. We're going to be interested in our neighbor and loving him. We're going to be interested in the welfare and condition of the church. That would be adopting the interests of Jesus. He also says here that, that Timothy did something that I think everybody ought to do. He proved himself. You know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Serving in the work is the way you prove yourself. Timothy was a fellow who did not have a lot of native self-confidence. When we read the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, we kind of pick that up. 1 Timothy 1.7 is a famous part of those letters. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and self-control or self-discipline. And we are looking and reading between the lines some in the letters to Timothy, but we see here a fellow who has a stomach problem. I wonder if he didn't internalize a lot of the criticism that comes to anybody seeking to serve and do ministry. You know, anytime you step out and say, I'm going to do something, you make yourself the object of somebody's criticism. And Timothy internalized that, I think. He had stomach problems. Paul references that in one place. But Timothy is fiercely loyal he is always faithful and his style of service with Paul is like a son with his father he has this relational loving relationship with the apostle Paul and they work for the gospel together out of that father-son relationship and the apostle Paul loves that he, he mentions that again and again in his letters, how important Timothy is to him and how much like a son he is to him. Well, Timothy is serving, and in his service, he has proved himself. Prove yourself. Prove yourself faithful. Prove yourself loyal. Prove yourself to be a servant. Talk is cheap. You ever heard that? Talk is cheap. It's action that counts. It's not so much what you say, but what you do that shines your light. I am worried that we are people of so many words, we think words are enough. We think they are sufficient. We are wordsmiths. We spend time crafting things. And words are powerful indeed. They are very important. But action is also very powerful. 
In fact, I want to encourage you today, if you're discouraged about conditions in the world, that instead of always being fearful and lamenting the condition of things in your community, replace all that lamentation with action. Get up and do something. If you, like I, am disturbed by reading how we beat up and rape and discard and throw kids in trash cans in this community, if that bothers you, then get up and do something about it. Yourself. Find somebody to rescue. Find somebody to connect to. If it bothers you that the most likely way that a person who is black and 16 to 20 in this community will die is by homicide, then get up and do something. Let's be motivated. Let's say, we'll not just sit back and say, that's somebody else's problem. I tell you, the, the sense of hopelessness that we often feel about community problems and problems in our world is in part connected to our inactivity. We get hope when we are in motion. I would predict that you are most frightened about the future, you are most anxious about your life when you are sitting in a solitary place and the wheels are spinning in your mind. But when you get up and you start doing something about your life, when you make decisions that affect the problems in your life, you suddenly get more hopeful. If you get yourself in motion and start addressing those financial needs and go and balance your checkbook and begin to pay some of those bills, all of a sudden you're feeling like, you know, there is a way out of this. And the same thing is true in a community. If we're looking at the world and saying, what a mess we've got here, the most hopeful thing we can do is get to work on it. Hope springs up as we are disciples in motion. Prove yourselves. Timothy proved himself and Paul trusted him. Let me tell you something about me. I trust you. If I shake hands with you and you introduce yourself and you say that you're an expert pilot, I believe you 100%. I give you the benefit of the doubt. I'll trust you explicitly no matter what you say. I'm going to trust you, okay, until you betray me. And if I find out you've been lying to me and you're not who you say you are and you don't do what you say you do, then you go to the bottom of the trust list, all right? All right, I'm not, you know, I'm not about to hand you something if you just stabbed me in the back or betrayed me or told me a lie. Trust is earned. You earn trust, particularly if you've messed up and you've betray, betrayed trust. And earning trust is a process, not a single event. I know people who have betrayed the trust of their spouse or of their kids. And then they go out and do something good. They come back to the house and say, okay, see what a good guy I am? You trust me now. No, it's a process, brother. It's not a single event. Every liar sometimes tells the truth. 
right? So if you've been lying to me, you start out at the bottom. Now you show me not just one word, not just one deed, not with just one act in your life. You show me with the lifestyle that you have repented of the falsehood and the deception. And over a period of time, you prove that you can walk the talk that's coming out of your mouth. Prove yourself. Now I'm going to show you a simple way to give God some proof about who you are. And you can start it right away, and you can do it even today. The apostle says to the church at Corinth, he says, look, I want to test you in something. You've been excelling in a lot of things. I want you to excel in the grace of giving. Now, you can read about this in the second book of Corinthians, chapter 8 where he says to them, come on, show me something. Sometimes we think it's so hard to do what God wants. Sometimes we say, I don't know what God wants. Well, I can tell you one thing God wants for sure in you. He wants you to be a generous, regular giver of your offerings to the Lord. He wants you to give out of grace, not law. And this grace of giving is accessible to every single person in this room. Everybody can do it. I was reading an article this week about what would happen if people who sit in our pews Sunday by Sunday gave to the Lord at the rate of 10%, which is in the old covenant. You know what our rate is now, right? On average, people in the pew give 2.5% of their income to all charitable causes. That's about a point lower than your grandparents did in the Great Depression. Back when they had nothing, they were given better than we do. I'm embarrassed about my generation. We've been so blessed financially, and we are so stingy. And we think we're doing good. And yet, percentage-wise, we give less than our great-grandparents did in the Great Depression. It's time to change that, and it changes on an individual basis. As we say to ourselves, I don't want to be a person who is self-absorbed with my bank account and all worried about me always. I want to trust God, have faith, and be a person who is a generous giver. The scripture says this, if you'll turn into a cheerful giver, God loves that about you. You want God to look down and smile? Just be a cheerful giver. The apostle Paul, when he gives that instruction to the church at Corinth, he embeds that jewel in his remarks. God loves a cheerful giver. Prove yourself. Prove yourself in service. Prove yourself in faithfulness. Prove yourself in the relationship of love, father, son, husband, wife. Prove yourself in the generosity that you demonstrate, not just talk about, but actually do. Number three, take care of others. They sent Epaphroditus 
to take care of the needs of the apostle. That's what they did. The church at Philippi sent him. We're going to take care of your needs. Now, when they sent Epaphroditus, they were admitting, we can't all come, Paul. We'd like to all be in Rome at the place where you are locked up or chained up, and we'd like to sit around and sing with you, but we can't all come. But we pooled our resources, and we're sending Epaphroditus to you. And the apostle Paul gives them credit for that and says, you blessed me, you loved me, you attended to my needs, you sent Epaphroditus to help me. That's taking care of others. We can't always be out there doing it, but we can be part of the support system. I love taking care. I think the care effect is that it changes the caregiver more than anybody else in the equation. It changes me. That's why we call our Compassion Ministries Care Effect. It has effect on me most profoundly. It has effect on the person who receives my care. It has effect on the community of which I am a part. It is powerful to care for another person. And God is calling us to wrench our focus out of self-indulgence and to care for others, to genuinely have interest in the welfare of others. God has a wonderful way of using our practical care powerfully. On Tuesday, I'm going to fly to Washington, D.C. Do you know why? Because I've been to the Gentilly Lowe's feeding station and visited with guys who've been shot, stabbed, ribs broken, beat up, and assaulted. That's why. And when I gave the story, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of Southern Baptists said, we want you to come and tell some folks that story. So I'm going to go to Washington, D.C. this week and talk to some people in power about what happens at Care Effect at First Baptist New Orleans. They, amen. Hey, it might change something from the top down. I tell you all the time, you gotta be satisfied to give the cup of cold water. In and of itself, it's gotta be enough. That's why Jesus said, if you did it to the least of these, my brother, you did it unto me. You can't even make it depend on the thank you, let alone the transformation of the recipient. you got to give the cup of cold water because it's in you to give it, and Jesus said, do it, and the person is thirsty and needs the water. And it's got to be enough to give the cup of cold water. And when we do it without expectation of reward, that's when we're following the interests of Jesus who gave to us and rescued us from the bottom of the cliff and put us back in the nest just because he loved us, just because he cared. We've said before, what was in that cup that he gave thanks for? He took the cup and gave thanks. What's in that cup for him? Trouble, heartache, and death, suffering, agony, and pain, a whipping, hanging up naked to die. That's what's in the cup for him. He gave thanks for the cup, not because it was so great for him, but because it was necessary for you. So he took the cup, and he drank it to the bottom, 
He poured out his life on our behalf. That's what the care effect is. Take care of somebody else. If you're trapped in your sorrow, your discouragement, your despair, even your depression, ask God to take your eyes from the hurt that you're feeling that has captured your life and put your eyes on somebody else who needs you. Will you do it? If you can care for somebody else even when you are hurting, you will be like Jesus who when he was dying on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. While his blood was pouring out of his wounds, he said, Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. He took care of people around him till the moment that he said, It is finished. See, the cross kind of caring is the care that looks to the welfare of others even when you yourself are hurting. I was startled to learn this week that more policemen and sheriff's deputies in this country die by their own hand every year than die in the line of duty. Did you know that? I knew it was true for the military, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. More of our military personnel die by their own hand than die in action. But we have a crisis of suicide in our country, and it's on the rise in every age group, including my age group. Think, what's going on here? I think part of it must be hopelessness, that there seems no way out, that the trouble is overwhelming. And I think maybe what we ought to do is start heeding the instruction of the apostle and be one of those rare birds who takes a genuine interest in the welfare of others. It's not so common, you know, to find somebody who actually cares about other people. The fellow who knows what question to ask you, who remembers that you lost your parent, that you had a crisis in your family. When you show up at work and he asks you about that, you're blessed. And you think, here's a guy who really cares about me. They're just not that common. Timothy was the only fellow Paul knew that he could send to Philippi who genuinely cared about their welfare. I read that and I'm a little bit sad. And then I think, Lord, make me a Timothy. Let me be one of those guys who has a genuine concern for the welfare of others. You say, what's the word genuine mean? It means doing, not just talking. Genuine concern is the concern that costs you something. That's more than you putting words in the air. Costs you time, costs you resources. Takes you out of your way, makes you do a detour. Maybe spend an hour going to the hospital when you know it's going to take time and you could give it to others, but you're going to give it to somebody else. Genuine concern is what costs you something. 
at the conclusion of this passage we're looking at Paul says something that I noted when I read it maybe you heard me pause I'm sending Epaphrodites to you so I can make you happy and I can be less anxious <laughs> and the Apostle Paul is making this confession that when you are upset when you are worried I'm anxious about you I've wondered about that and I thought maybe the Apostle knows that when people are hurting when they are in pain they are more spiritually vulnerable okay let me just tell you if you have pain and trouble in your life right now it's a dangerous opportunity it's a dangerous opportunity spiritually because when pain and trouble comes you can make great strides spiritually if you are willing to trust God have faith hold on to him in the middle of your pain but it's dangerous because it's also a time when many people get caught up in other things besides looking to God sometimes they blame God when trouble comes sometimes they question God when trouble comes sometimes they suspend their prayer life and they set aside the Bible and they stop going to church when trouble comes and there are lots of reasons for that but it's a dangerous opportunity when trouble and pain come into your life it's your opportunity to trust God and shine like you've never before but it's also a moment when you can get weak and you're vulnerable the Apostle Paul makes full disclosure as he says to the Philippians I'll have less anxiety if I send Epaphroditus to you it's a confession I'm anxious about you I worry about you I think being honest with one another like that is awfully important we can't really have genuine interest if there's not real honesty and honesty is a two-way street it's me not pretending everything's fine when it's not and it's you doing the same it's us bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ and full disclosure begins when you come before God in prayer and without pretense tell him about the real you how are things really with you God already knows we're afraid to say it in prayer because we don't want our own ears to hear it we don't want to admit it where we really are but God already knows and full disclosure begins when you get honest with God let's bow together somebody in this room is on the edge at the end of your rope would you be honest with God someone is fighting fiercely a temptation in your life 
Would you be honest with God? Somebody failed miserably this week. Would you be honest with God? Let's open our hearts to Him. Speak the real issue. Tell Him who we really are. What's really on our heart. It's us again, God. Your ragtag team here in New Orleans. Coming to you again after a week with some successes and some failures. It's us again, God. We need your grace, your forgiveness, your strength, your wisdom. We need your help. Heal us where we're hurting. Strengthen us in the weak places. Lift us from the doldrums. Put our feet back on the rock. Show us the next step that we're supposed to take. The action. The work that is ours to do. God, we want to prove ourselves faithful, loyal, and true in the week ahead. Fix us up. Send us out. We are yours.